You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Psalm 91, I'm not going to dive into it yet, but just share a little bit of kind of where we're going and what, um, how this kind of came about. So you and I were having a conversation, I believe it was yesterday, and you said that the word of the Lord that was on your heart was when God told Abraham that he was his exceedingly he was his shield and his exceedingly great reward. And so we talked about ministering together this morning, and I was thinking about it. And uh, before I decided to look up some scriptures about Abraham, I thought it's a good morning, uh, particularly in the time that we're in, to constantly read Psalm 91. And I noticed some words in Psalm 91 that pertain that spoke of uh, God being our shield and being our reward. And I thought, Well, I'll share it with everybody this morning while we talk about Abraham as well, because this is such a trying time, Matthew. And uh, we need to know that we have an anchor, that we have our anchors, Jesus Christ, said that no matter how uh, rocky the storm gets or how strong the winds blow, we have an anchor. And part of our protection and reward, um, because Jesus lives in our heart and we've accepted him, as our Savior, um, He protects us against diseases. Right. And um, so we'll look at Psalm 91. We'll look at the the reward and other scriptures as well. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, if you have your Bible, again, um, Psalm 91 is going to kind of be like the main focus. And one of the things I've been doing um, when we had our first service about the coronavirus, which was about two weeks ago or three weeks as of today, um just really felt impressed personally felt impressed from the Lord Psalm 91 that just needs to be your chapter um, so I believe that's going to be something that is pivotal especially for God's people in this time one of the things that I I asked in the church to do about two weeks ago is just hey read Psalm 91 every day just read it to yourself every day read it to your family just once a day um, it's just one of those verses I'm not sure if it was John G like I might be wrong but it was one of those great men of God anyways um Gosh, it was in that book, God's Generals. But anyways, they were saying in that book, one of those guys, they were saying that when you read Psalm 91, it just builds faith on the inside of you. And uh, I can't remember who it was at this point, but long story short, it's just been one of those chapters that when you read Psalm 91, it does. It just puts faith in you. And so uh, I just want to encourage everybody when you're watching this, read Psalm 91. We're not going to read the whole chapter. Uh, we'll point out some stuff in it. But again, go back and read Psalm 91. Um but we're not actually going to start in Psalm 91. We're actually going to start in Genesis 15. So let's pray real fast. Um, we'll jump into Genesis 15. I hope you have your Bible, your notebooks. Uh, if you have coffee, I hope you got that ready. And we are going to dive into it. So are you ready? Let's do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you where two or more are gathered. You are in our midst. I know that there is distance between us and everyone watching this right now. But in the anointing, there is no distance. In your spirit, there is no distance. Father David was in the field and yet uh, Samuel was in the house. But again, there is no distance in the anointing. So even right now, as the word goes out over this uh, podcast, over this Facebook live feed, I thank you again that there is no distance right now. Whatever your people need, I thank you that even through this, through this medium, they will get exactly what they thank need you, from you. And if it's healing, if it's um, uh, if it's any sort of 
uh, financial miracle, whatever it is, whatever we need from you, even in this moment, you are still a savior for everyone that's watching this, everyone that's listening to this. So right now, by your unmerited favor, be our savior, be um, a heavenly father to everyone right now in this moment. And Lord, we thank you that they will get exactly what you have prepared for them. Not what we prepared, but what you would have for them. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You want me to... uh Kickstart is cool. Yeah. All right. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Genesis chapter 15. And uh, I'll just take a second, just take a moment just to kind of share how I got to this point. And then um, I'm jumping in the passenger seat. That's all right. All right. We're together on this. Genesis 15. So if you want to go to Genesis 15, and I'll give you some backdrop. And what happens is um, we're looking at the story of Abraham. And when you look at the story of Abraham, we're coming to the 15-1 where God comes to Abraham. He says, don't be afraid. I am your exceeding, I'm sorry, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. And, uh, but before we get there, what happens is this, Abraham's nephew Lot has been captured by four different kings. Um, if you remember the story, they separated. Um, Abraham said, you go one way, I'll go another way. Um, God's blessed him. So they separate, they go different directions and Lot ends up getting captured. Uh, by four different kings. So Abraham gets like 300 of his men together. I think it's 300. I can't remember. But he gets a small number of his men together. And uh, if you know the story of Abraham, they're actually not trained soldiers. They're actually just farmers and shepherds. shepherds. Mm -hmm. They're not soldiers. They're not warriors. But he gets together. And all of a sudden, you see this moment where the Spirit of God comes on Abraham and says, and keep in mind, he's like 85 years old at this point. And he says, no, we're going to go get Lot. So they hunt down these four kings who have their own military and uh, individual militaries. And Abraham comes in with 300 men and just ransacks all four of these kings, just blows through them. He gets his nephew Lot back. He gets all the money, all the gold, everything that these four kings took. He gets it all back. And when that's the, what the four kings owned. Right. Everything they brought to the battle. He wins this insane war uh, that, again, if you don't read into the story, it can look like words on a page. But, I mean, don't miss this moment. He wins this war, and it's clearly God that gave him the victory. So, anyways, after he wins the war, uh, there's two kings that come to him, and they say, look, you know, thank you. And Abraham turns around and says, here, take all your money back. I won't take anything from you unless, uh, because someone could look at this and say, you made Abraham rich. He says, I want God to get the glory for making me wealthy. And so he gives them their money back. And at the end of that, all of a sudden, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, shows up. And Abraham gives him a tithe of everything that he had. So, I'm sorry, before he gives the money back to the kings. He gives a tithe of it to Melchizedek. Then he gives the kings their money back. Now, once all that happens, once that story finishes, we come to Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. So, it's interesting. Again, you want to know the context. As soon as that happens, it comes to verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James. Genesis 15, 1 says, after these things, after what we just said happened, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. Now, it's one of those things where you read that verse, it's almost like you're thinking, well, God is saying, don't be afraid because I'm here. But again, in context, what he's saying is don't be afraid. And I think you have this moment where Abraham's humanity really shows out. He just defeated four kings with shepherds. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He just defeated four kings. Um, he just gave the money back to the kings who were also taken captive. And all of a sudden, this moment comes in where four kings, what if they retaliate? That moment of what if they come back? What if they come back against me because I just beat them? And so all of a sudden, God comes in and God says, Abram, don't be afraid. And then he says this, I am your shield. Well, why does he need God to be a shield? If those four kings come back, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> so he says, I'll be your shield. But then he also says, I'll also be your exceedingly great reward. So it's interesting. You put the two together. It's almost like the two are inseparable. 
He doesn't say, I'll be your, your, your shield and your exceeding great reward. In fact, even in the Hebrew, he says this, I'll be your shield, comma, your exceeding great reward. Almost as if they're both one in the same or they both come as a package deal. Mm-hmm. If you want a reward, know this, I'll also be your shield. And if you need me to be your shield, I'll also be your reward. So you get this picture of God's protection comes with God's provision. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate when preachers do that. I just did it. I hate when people do that. They do the, they do the same letter rhyming thing. I hate that. But anyways, he literally says, I'll be your shield. I'll also be your supply. Whatever you need, know that it comes with the defense. And I think right now more than ever, uh, again, the Lord's mandate for me personally was you need to be relevant. <laughs> the coronavirus is here. Tell my people that they're going to be okay. Don't get caught up in the hype and the, and the fear and the chaos of everything that's going on. Tell my people they are going to be okay. They're going to be okay. And another beautiful angle, Matthew, uh, to even look at that scripture, is when we choose the Lord or we allow him to be our shield, there's a reward associated with putting your trust and, and resting in the Lord. Right. That Like you said, it's a package deal. When we choose to rest in him as our shield, that he's enough. To protect us from anything that we face, the re- all the reward of number one, him being our shield, and then everything else, he loves it when we put our trust in him. Right. He loves it, and then he adds more than what you were believing for. Absolutely. Whatever it is that you needed for that moment, he's going to do more than that simply because we allowed him to be our shield. Right. In fact, um, I was just getting ready for this morning too, going over Psalms ninety-one, and we'll get there in just a moment. But he talks a lot about. Because you let the Lord be your shield, because you run to him, because you go to him, because you went to him as your fortress, as your refuge, because you look to him. And uh, especially right now in this moment for everyone who's watching this or listening, because you went to the Lord and asked him to protect you, this is what you get. And so, again, it's this beautiful picture of the Lord saying, it's not what you do. It's just who you run to. If you'll just come to me, I'll take care of the rest. There's that unmerited favor. Um, there's that difference between people who are still under the law and people who are under grace of realizing it's not that I came to God with all the good things I've done. You know, it's not because I gave five dollars to the homeless person that God's going to take care of me and my family. It's not because I donated 15 bags of clothes to the shelter that God's going to take care of me and my family in the middle of this crisis. No, it's I, I went to him. It's nothing what I, it has nothing to do with what I did. It's because I went to him. It's because we're looking He's at him. I love it. Nebuchadnezzar had uh, made a lot of mistakes and was so egotistical and thought that every, and even made the statement, well, everything that I have is because I'm so wonderful. And he lost his mind that day and he lost everything. But the moment that he looked up to heaven, the moment that he took his eyes off of himself right. and off of everything that he thought he had done, the Bible says everything was restored to him. Even excellent uh, ministry was restored to him. Uh, a spirit of excellence was restored to uh, a heathen, Nebuchadnezzar. And then I love it, Matthew, in uh, Song of Solomon. Um, and Solomon represents Jesus and the Shunammite represents the church. God makes a statement to her. He says, show me who you turn to when you're in trouble. And so here we are. This is a global issue now, this disease. And yet God is still saying to the church and he's saying to us individually, show me who you turn to when you're in trouble. And it's not that we have to work and earn anything from God. He's saying, just look at me. Right. Let me be everything that you need. Let me be your shield. 
Let me be your protection. Let me be your deliverer. Let me be your savior. Right. There's so much here I want to unpack, and I don't want to. I know that we're going one direction. I don't want to keep going that way. One thing too, before we move on. Um, in fact, can we do this real quick? I know we we're going sure, to Psalm. Sure. Can we turn to Romans chapter four? Yes. I just. Uh, it's one of those things I love. I want to make sure we include this if we can. Romans chapter four. And uh, one of the things I kind of I almost beat myself up in my own head about is, you know, Matthew, you use too much of Abraham. <laughs> I always I talk about Abraham a lot. Um, and the reason being is because Abraham was to me, not only is his story awesome, but Abraham's like us. Whenever you look at the Apostle Paul, he always talks about Abraham. One of the reasons why I love Abraham so much is because Abraham's story really does. Um, it, it reflects us in so many ways, uh, mostly because Abraham was like us. God is interacting with someone who fails. He's interacting with someone who sins on a regular basis. He's interacting with someone who lies, uh, doesn't necessarily cheat. You don't see that much. You do see that he lies. You do see that he doesn't always believe God. He only um, is like halfway obedient 90% of the time. Uh, you just see this man who, who is looking to himself for the result. And yet God never really judged him one time on that. He never and he never interacted with him one time on his failure. Instead, he turned around and said, "I'm going to be better to you than you are to me. When you lie, I'm still going to protect you. When you che- not cheat, but you know, when you when you try to scheme and when you try to uh, move ahead in life based on yourself instead of coming to me, I'm still going to protect you. I'm still going to give you more favor. I'm still going to make people give into you and make you so rich that by the time." Uh, before he died, even his servant, his right hand man said, my master has he, he's not missing for anything. He has everything. Um, and, ju- and just on a side note, Matthew, um, Sarah, his wife, right. uh, was watching all of this. And in the conference that we're doing in July is Daughters of Sarah. So Sarah was having her own experience with the Lord. She was watching how the Lord was dealing with her husband. Right. Even when he blew it and, and how he was dealing with her when she blew it as well. She was also under grace. Right, right. So it's just that perfect, it's that picture of, of, of how God interacts with us. You know, he never one time told Abraham about something Abraham did wrong. And the only time God ever brought it up was because Abraham brought it up and God was telling Abraham, don't worry, I'll take care of it. But let's get back to what I was saying. You know, it just, it's just a beautiful picture. But one of the reasons why I want to use Abraham's story and not David, not, um, um, you know, Elijah or Elisha. The reason why I want to use Abraham's story just for this particular is because look at this in Romans 4. It says in Romans 4 verse 1, we're just going to read a few verses and then we'll get back to Psalm 91. Um, in Romans 4. Did that work? Yeah, yeah, I think we're good. In Romans 4, Paul says something interesting. He says... What did Abraham, I'm sorry, what then shall we say that, I'm sorry, verse one. He says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father has found according to the flesh? Now, real quick, what did Abraham find? Because whatever he found is for us to know. He says in verse two, for if Abraham was made, excuse me, if Abraham was made righteous by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does, what does scripture say? Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. So what you see right here and just I got to take a breather. I'm sorry. What you see right here is that Abraham found something according to his flesh. And what's interesting, I was just thinking about this last night too. God let him find something. You never see God tell Abraham, I'm not going to, I'm not going to interact with you or engage with you based on your failures. He never says that. He lets him find it. 
So Paul says right here, what did Abraham find? Because whatever he found, God didn't tell him. God let him find it. Right. So what did he find? Well, he found that God never brought up one of his sins. And that even though he sinned, God still said, you're right with me. You're righteous. You're perfect. There is no sin in you. You know, I don't, I haven't seen any sin on you. And so you have this picture of, well, if that's what Abraham had and we are the seed of Abraham, we're like him. We're under grace like him. What does that mean for us? And so you see, you come to verse six and he says this, but to the one who does not work, but believes on God, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And I'm going to stop with this in verse seven and eight. David said, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Now, most of the church understands that. We say, well, you know, we're blessed because our, our lawless deeds are forgiven and our sins are covered. And I think that's the beginning stage, you know, believing that God is forgiving your sins. But then you come to verse eight. And to me, this is that maturity. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not even impute sin to him. Right, right. And for years, the church didn't understand this. We thought that our past sins were the only sins that were forgiven. Right. And that from the moment that we accept Christ, then we had to work and earn everything else. And what a dangerous doctrine, Matthew. That was not the gospel at all. God does not impute our sins to us anymore ever because the blood of Jesus is so powerful and it is an eternal thing that he has done for us. Right. Um. And I'm not going to we'll go ahead and go to Psalm 91, but I just love that verse. Again, blessed is the one to whom God does not impute sin. You know, again, it's in that moment, in the moment, God isn't even crediting that sin to you. Because 2,000 years ago, he credited it to his son, Jesus, at the cross. Right. You know, the cross was more than just, oh, you know, it's a sad story. It's a story of God saying, I will never have to credit your failures to you ever again. And if you can believe that then you can get the fruit of it on the other side. You and get what and he the said peace that comes with that. Absolutely. You get what he said to Abraham. I am your shield and I am your reward. In fact, go ahead. Pick up Psalm 91. I'm with you. Psalm 91. And I'm reading from the um, New Living Translation. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers and he will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. And you were referring to what he um, told Abraham in Genesis, he said, I'm your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Well, David has the same revelation once again in verse 4. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. That's what protects you are his promises. That's all you need are the promises of God. Do not be afraid of the terrors of night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. And do not, let me repeat, do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness. Don't dread the people of God, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. And this is why you don't have to dread it. Verse 7, though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. 
Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras and you will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. In verse 14, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward, there's that word, Matthew. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Everything that we need, every provision that we need is found in Christ. And all we need to do is rest under the shadow of the Almighty. It can be a raging storm around us, but we are resting. We are resting under the shadow of the Almighty. And we're resting in Christ. And simply because we have accepted and received his son as our savior, all the benefits of being in Christ are ours. And God tells us we don't even have to dread that disease because he will answer us, he will deliver us, and he has given his angels charge over us to protect us. Right. That's all we need to know. Right. And it sets you free. Um, it sets you free. We don't have the sinners on us that the world is facing. That is not our future. Um, I think we were talking about it. It um, during the Passover. It sort of remind. It sort of gives you maybe some insight as to what the Jewish, the Israelites must have been feeling the Hebrew children when they were in Egypt the night of the Passover. And um, they were instructed to eat the roasted lamb. And they were instructed to put the blood on the doorpost of their home and eat unleavened bread. And um, they had to put their trust that that blood on their door was enough to protect them when the death angel came through. And Matthew, they could probably hear their neighbors who didn't didn't belong to the Lord and who didn't... uh, Surrender to the Lord's instructions, and you could pro- they could probably hear their neighbors screaming all through the night, and yet they were in a place of safety. Right. And this sort of what's happening to uh, our country and what's happening around the world, it sort of gives us some insight as to what they must have felt that night, because um, we can see the effects of it around us, and yet Matthew. The blood of Jesus is over our family. The blood of Jesus is over our home. is is over every everything that is covers us. We wake up with the blood of Jesus over our lives. We go to sleep with the blood of Jesus over our lives, right. and we rest that His blood is enough. And He is demonstrating to to us that it is enough. Right. One of the things I always find interesting about that whole story of the Passover is. Um, you know, imagine if you were a family living at that time in Egypt and Moses sent out the decree, put blood on the doorpost, you know, you know, I always joke about it with me and Christina back then, you know, if we were there, 
you know, if I put blood on the door post, she would have probably made me put more blood. And then I would have probably had to put it on the windows and on the, on the bed and the doorposts of the rooms. You know, I mean, we would have just, we would have gone overboard. Uh, but the, the, the funny thing about it is even that night, you know, when you hear the angel of death moving through the city, uh, and you hear people screaming, you know, at the end of the day, if you're inside the house, terrified, shaking, holding your family, not believing that the blood is powerful enough, and you're just absolutely terrified, oh my, you know, do we put enough, you know, is there enough blood on the door? Is there not enough? You know, and you're debating with each other while all of this is going on. At the end of the day, when the angel sees the blood, he moves on. He can't touch you. He can't touch your family. The so angel of all death. you need is mm-hmm. the blood on the door. That's it. That's all you needed was the blood. And how much trust you put into it at the end of the day, once he sees blood, it's done. It really is one of those things where you can either be terrified or you can have peace. Either way, God is bound by his word. Because the blood of Jesus is here, you're, you're mine. You're so mine. what you're saying, and this should set people free, even if your knees are shaking. Right. Even if your knees are shaking, the blood is still speaking over your life. Right. Because God is not looking at your faith. He's looking at the faith of his son. And he's looking at the finished work of his son. It's not our performance that protects us. It's the performance of his son. And it's a finished work that he did. So we can look out the window. We can look at those that followed outside. And if our knees shake, what Matthew is reminding us is that the blood is still speaking. It is an eternal thing. We are eternally accepted in the beloved. We are eternally accepted in Jesus Christ. One of the uh, side note, two things, you know, you look at grace, you know, in the Old Testament, if you were terrified of God and keep in mind that story happened before the law came. But if you're walking in fear, in a lot of ways, you almost pay for it. Um, you would once the law came. If you're you walking, paid for you, every, you know, everything you, that you did wrong. Right. If you had fear or you didn't trust God, then you paid for it and you had to. It was trust God or else. Um, but by that time, that story happened. They were under the law. But you see this picture of grace that when grace comes in again. Because the blood is there, you're good. And so what happens is Jesus shows up on the scene. He walks on water and Peter's knees are shaking. And again, you have that moment where it's like, well, if you don't trust God, shouldn't you pay for it? But Jesus comes, grace personified. He's walking on water. He stops looking at Jesus. He gets terrified of what he sees, the wind, the waves and everything else. And yet Jesus still pulls him out of the water, puts him in the boat and they move on. Um, one other thing, too, and, and we can move on. One other thing is the first mention of blood in the Bible um, if you know anything about the law of first mention, I share it a lot, but I love it. The law of first mention, uh, when you look at the first time the word blood is mentioned in the Bible, God says to Cain, your brother, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And what you see is there's this moment where the blood of Abel was saying, give me vengeance, avenge me. And so God comes to Cain and says, I have to, I, you know, I have no choice. Your brother's blood is crying out to me. But now you look at the New Testament in Hebrews, he says the blood of Christ speaks better things, better things than the blood of Abel. Not revenge for your sin, but instead now Matthew is made righteous. You are righteous. Through My the finished blood is work saying, of Jesus. You're right with God. You're perfect. So, Father, protect them. Father, take care of them. Um, but go right ahead. I'm sorry. Keep going. No, no. You go. I'm following you. <laughs> well, what, what do we have next? Okay. Um, and... Still thinking about him telling Abraham, I am your uh, your shield and your exceedingly great reward. I was thinking, I love uh, Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame, because it's a picture in Hebrews 11 of so many people that uh, 
throughout the Bible. And yet, every one of them made mistakes because they were human. If you're breathing, you will make mistakes. And yet, God doesn't mention their mistakes. He brags on every one, Matthew. And it's like um, the Hall of Fame in the Bible. And it's a picture that um, God is more wants to brag about the things that we got right. That's what he's concerned about, um, not pouring out our failures. So in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 24, let's look at that one. And it's, this particular verse is actually talking about Moses. And uh, Moses was brought up in Pharaoh's home. And, uh, but he became aware that he was a, a Hebrew boy. And so then as he gets older, even though he's enjoyed the pleasures of being in the palace, he begins now to identify with the sufferings of his Hebrew brothers. So in verse 24, it says, it was by faith. Let's start in verse 23. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child. And they were not afraid to disobey the king's command, which was to turn the children over. And at two years old, they were being slaughtered everywhere. So they hid Moses for three months. And Moses ended up um, in the palace. Uh, his parents put him in a like an ark or a basket. And he survived and made it to the palace where he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. It was by faith in verse 24 that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. Why? This is important. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. And what God does, uh, he entices us, Matthew, to want to be with him, to want to follow him, to want to receive Jesus, to rest in Jesus. He entices us with rewards. And so Moses was enticed. He was looking ahead. He thought that the pleasures, uh, the rewards that God was offering were greater. He was reward-minded, were greater than the pleasures that he had experienced in uh, Pharaoh's home, in the palace. I remember uh, one of my favorite books is the book of Hosea, where God talks about Gomer. Gomer and Hosea was a prophet who married Gomer, and she was unfaithful, and he was warned she would be. And she was unfaithful, and eventually she left her husband, and she left Hosea, she left her children, and she pursued other lovers. And at the time, it was a picture of the church. And uh, so now it's so bad that her lovers have her up for sale, Matthew. And so God tells Hosea at her very worst moment, he says, go and buy her back and take her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her and entice her. He uses that word entice and he says, and tell her that I still love her. And so what does God do? He begins to entice her to want to come back to him um, and to want to come back to Hosea, he uses the rewards to entice us. And he says, and speak tenderly to her and tell her, I still love her. And so God uses those rewards to entice us that even if we fall, 
And we will, if you're breathing, you will make mistakes. Even if you fall, the God's rewards are still there for you. They're still there to pull you back and to protect you and to encourage you and to re as a reminder that he is eternally in love with you because of Jesus. All right. You talk about rewards. Uh, and one thing, too, in relationship to uh, the gospel in that sense uh, is that I think, you know, growing up, we were always told, you know, you should love God because of who he is. In fact, there was a song. Um, I want to be, I say something, get in trouble. But there was the, the whole impression growing up was because God is who he is. That's why we do what we do. And to be honest, that doesn't really motivate people. Um, it's like, you know, you go to work, you do your job. Um, but they give you a check for it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm motivated. You're not going to say, well, you should come to work and do this because that's what you should do. Like, no, I come to work and I do this because you give me a check. And so everything in life really is reward, focus, reward, motivated. Um, and in light of the crisis that we're facing right now with uh, the, the coronavirus or the COVID-19, in light of all of that, what you see is God is saying, I'm, I want you to trust me. I want you to help me. Psalm 91, because you made me your refuge, because you came to me, because you let me be your shield, because you let me, because you're here. Um, the whole chapter, because you did this, this is what I'm going to do as a reward. And so, again, growing up, it was just the opposite. It was, well, you should love God because God is who he is. Um, and it wasn't until a couple of years ago that grace really started to make sense, that started to settle in, that we started realizing God understands how we work. He understands how we tick. And he's not asking us to love him just because he's God. He's asking us to love him. And he gives us a reason. Look what I did for you. And, and the, look what I will do. And the beauty, Matthew, in Psalm 91 is not a picture of works. It's a picture of where are you putting your faith? Where are you putting your trust? Whose eyes? Uh, what are you focusing on? What are you putting your eyes on? Is no list of all the works that you have to do to earn anything from God. It's simply you made a, a decision. You made a choice to let God be your refuge, to let Jesus be your Savior. All right. And uh, it's a picture of, of uh, what you're believing versus what you're doing. All right. And then when you make the right choice to believe that he's a Savior, he does everything else that needs to be done. Right. including your your protection from deadly disease. Right. You know, there's nothing wrong with uh, being reward motivated at all. In fact, what you're talking about, all through Hebrews 11, he says, they did this looking forward to the reward. They did this looking forward to the reward. The whole chapter is about people who are doing stuff, believing God, so they could get the reward. Um, and uh, I'll say this and I'll close because we're already at 43. But, uh, you know, you look at the story of David, and I'll share that some other time. But if you look at the story of David, what's funny is that David went onto the battlefield, found out about Goliath, but was really motivated by the reward that Saul was giving. You know, everybody remembers David running onto the battlefield saying, you know, I'll feed your flesh to the birds of the air. I'll cut your head off. There's a God in Israel. All the world will know. Yeah, all that sounded great. Uh, but none of that came first. All that came after he found out what the reward was. <laughs> this <laughs> right, this right. mighty man of faith and power. And, In fact, and, and, he asked, know. what is the reward for the man <laughs> who killed Goliath? So, you know, all that faith came from a place of saying, well, what do I get if I do it? You know, and so again, you know, and just I want to encourage everyone. And, you know, we both want to encourage everyone that's watching or even listening to this. Uh, you know, don't be afraid to say, hey, I'm doing this because God is doing this for me. In fact, Matthew, can I read one scripture yeah, before right we ahead. close? Hebrews 10.35 from the New Living Translation, 10.35. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord, 
Remember the great reward it will bring you. There you go. So God wants you to know. He says, remember the great reward it brings you. He wants you to know. And I'm sorry I put it in the future because in Christ, everything is has already either been done, past tense, or it is happening right now. So remember this great reward it brings you. God wants you to be reward-minded. Putting your trust in him has a great recompense, a great payback of reward. Yeah. So all that said to say, again, be encouraged. I know, again, we are looking at a crisis. We're looking at um, a global pandemic. Uh, and there is a lot of, I'm not going to lie, there's a lot of reason to be afraid. Just the other day, I was, I was telling you, I had the news playing just for 10 minutes. I went two days without having the news playing, and then I turned on for 10 minutes. And all of a sudden, you know, to be completely honest, I would have thought the world was burning down. Um, and that's not making light of any situation of anyone who has it, is struggling with it, or anyone who's died. I'm not making light of that. But uh, just being plugged into the world, there is plenty of reason to be terrified, but there's more of a reason um, to be at peace right now in the midst of this storm, because I can tell you, God is for you. God is for you. And he wants to be your protection. Um, so again, we just want to encourage you. We'll pray for you in just a second, but we want to encourage you again. Just read Psalm 91 every day. Just take a, take a minute and a half and just read Psalm 91 and just let it sink into you. Let it be something as we all uh, walk through this together. Um, let it be something that really marks this moment in our life. So that said, uh, do you want to pray for everyone? Um, Father, you're so faithful. That's all that you can be. And because of that, um, we choose to rest in your promises and we choose to rest under your wing. And we speak your shalom peace over everybody that is listening. Regardless of what they hear in one ear and in the other, we speak your shalom peace. And we exhort your people in the name of Jesus to keep their eyes on you and to show you who they turn to when they're in trouble. And we thank you that they don't have to dread this deadly disease. Your promise is that they are delivered. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for watching. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.